Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. It all works together when we start to actually address this a little bit more and pay a little bit more attention to what's going on even at the basic level, which is just your breath. Consistency, collaboration, and putting out just good content. Like it, people like to blame the algorithm and, and blame all these different things. But to be honest, I'm going to go back to saying, is your content good? And is it eye-catching? I think you have to be very connected to what you're creating. You can't just be doing a challenge that you're not really sure about. You can't be giving a product that you're not really passionate about or else it's going to show. And that was really powerful in my launch. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd. Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today's guest is Jen Escare. Who is Jen? Jen is a physical therapist who created a hugely successful program called the Mobility Method. You know, as I get older, I'm always looking for ways that I can create more movement in my body, and she's the expert. So in this conversation, we get into the weeds on how to increase mobility as we age, some specifics on exactly how she launched this hugely successful program, and how she deals with the challenges of putting herself out there publicly on the internet. You can find Jen on the socials at DocGenFit. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Jen Esker. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You are so welcome. You know, I have been beyond blown away watching you from afar and I, I want to talk to you about so many things. So I just want to first thank you for taking the time. Of course. What I'd like to do is touch a little bit on your background as a physical therapist first. So, you know, in my experience, the vast majority of physical therapists rarely leave the comfort of private practice. But you decided that that was exactly what you were going to do. Was there a particular moment or conversation or a meeting that got you to eliminate the safety net of a paycheck and finally pull the trigger and go out on your own? Yeah, totally. I would say the first time that I kind of learned about this and wanting to go off on my own, I was in my third year of physical therapy school. And when I came over to Lewis's, my boyfriend's house, he was getting worked on by a chiropractor. She had her table out. She had all her tools. And I was like, what are you doing? I mean, she basically did a physical therapy in my my eyes. She did a physical therapy session. She did like no manipulations. It was a lot of soft tissue, using tools, using movement. And I was amazed because she was able to also set up her own schedule and treat the way she wanted to and treat however many patients. She would tell me that she would submit super bills for if a client requested it for insurance, but she in no way took insurance or didn't have to deal with it. They didn't teach us that in school. <laughs> and I remember going back to school and during one of our quote-unquote business classes where they told us about how hard it is to open your own clinic, <laughs> I asked, you know, now that we have direct access and we don't necessarily have to take a client only through an MD, would it be possible to create this lifestyle where we just treat patients privately like I had seen? And they told us, no, that couldn't happen which was shocking. and But the day that I knew that I wanted to quit was because I got asked to be on a shoot for uh, a magazine. And even though it was a weekend, I was like, well, what if this happens during the week? And all these other opportunities might be coming to me. Plus, I was hearing of clients coming and wanting to see me personally. So they were paying cash to the clinic. And I was getting requests on the side. So it kind of just happened where I was like, you know what? It's time. I'm going to take the leap. I don't know if this is going to work out, but I'm going to make it happen. And I emailed my bosses that night and I said, I need to talk to you on Monday. 
So how much of your surroundings had to do with that? For example, you know, you are, you and I travel in very similar circles. We hang out with a lot of the same people and those people really push us and, um, you know, are constantly growing. How much of an impact do you think the circle of influence that you had around you um, helped you make that decision to, or, or, or gave you the nerve maybe to say, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. You know, I was constant. Lewis was like, it's about time when I <laughs> made the decision to leave the clinic and work on my own. So it really is a little bit easier, I would say, like you said, you know, being around people who are constantly growing and wanting to do more, it makes it like, okay, I know that this is going to happen and I know that I'm going to be just fine. And especially being around the Cairo and seeing how she initially went out on her own and started to treat clients, didn't have to, didn't have a big overhead with a clinic or anything. She just did her own thing. And knowing that that was possible, I think really helped her inspire me as well. So for those of you that don't know that are listening, Jen's boyfriend that she's referring to, Lewis, is his name is Lewis Howes, and he's got a podcast called uh, The School of Greatness. He's a, he's a legend in the world of podcasting. So let's talk about you know making that shift from the four walls of your office to the world of being Insta-famous. And yes, Jen... <laughs> I anoint you with Insta-famousness. A few years ago, you had a pretty sizable audience of, you know, 100,000 followers. But then you made an educational video that got a million views. And after that video um, went viral, or however you want to phrase it, you went up another 40,000 new followers from that video. What do you think, um, looking back, were the key ingredients that made that happen? Consistency over everything. Because I, I initially started building a following just based on fitness and my fitness journey while I was in grad school. What continued to make that grow in the first place, even though it wasn't anything educational, it was just the fact that I was being consistent with posting and people were wanting to see what was going to come next. And then when I started doing educational stuff, being consistent with education, even though some people probably didn't care for it, I started to gain a whole new audience. And the more I continued to do that, the more I continued to grow. And then, like you said, one video hit a million views, which was just mind-blowing. <laughs> and I had no idea how that even happened. It wasn't something that I had planned. It wasn't a special video. It was just something that I was like, okay, I got to put this video up on stretches, I'll do it in this different cool way. And I did it in a little bit of a different way. And it took off. <laughs> and the thing about it, you just you don't know when that's going to happen either. Well, let's, let's talk about doing it in a different way. How did you do this one differently than let's say you've done the previous videos? In other words, how do you approach making your videos? Um, what do you think about right before you press record? I always think about what I'm delivering for that particular video or that week. Sometimes I like to do a series of this is what I'm going to focus on for this week. And so I make sure that what exercises I want to create within that video. And this particular day, I needed to show exercises or just general stretches for the body, but I wanted to make it a little bit different. So because I didn't want to do just the typical standing hamstring, here's your quad, here's your... So I just, for me, I wanted to mix it up a little bit. So I just, all I did was take it to the ground and show a little what I called like a hip flow by flowing through all these different stretches that would hit all these different areas of the legs, but kneeling down on the floor. Let me tell you what's interesting about this. You know, uh, for those of you that are listening that don't know, um, I am by trade a chiropractor. I've been practicing for 25 years, so I'm around this world a lot, and I've met lots of physical therapists, as you know, Jen alluded to in the beginning, as she has met a lot of you know chiropractors. I, I must say, one of the reasons why it was so important for me to have you on this podcast is I'm obsessed with quality. Quality for me trumps everything. There's a lot of crap that's out there now, and you truly, no bullshit, have absolutely the best quality content that I've ever seen. 
especially in this world. You, you just do. I don't know. I don't know anybody who has created what you've created in terms of quality. And I'll link up in the show notes for people listening how to how to follow you on Instagram, which I think is your your dominant area. But I guess my question for you is. And I don't want to be insulting to other physical therapists. I really don't because there are some great ones out there. And there, you know, like there's some lousy chiropractors too. But I don't know many physical therapists that have the knowledge base that you do on all of these different exercises. Do they teach you this in school or is this something that you picked up post-education? They teach you a little bit, but honestly, they don't teach you enough by far. I mean, there are some people that were in my class who had zero body awareness. And I'm like, how are you going to go out and tell someone else to move if you don't even know how to move your own body? But of course, there's different areas of physical therapy, which is great. You can go work in a hospital and just take a patient for a walk every day, (laughs) which they do more than that. Let me not, but you don't have to always know as much exercise. So I think I was fortunate in the fact that I've always loved working out and that's something that's been a part of my life. And then going into physical therapy school, I was already teaching Pilates. So I had that background. Um, and then as I was in school, I continued to learn. I continued to learn from other people based on weight training. I worked at a CrossFit gym when I was teaching Pilates. So I got a little bit of CrossFit experience in terms of what they did with that. And I just continued to want to learn. So I would say it's really not what I learned in school. School was, they covered some exercises, but they really don't cover enough, which I understand because in a fact, it's like we got a understand the body in terms of what to look out for, what are red flags, how to look at diagnoses, what those mean. But in a sense, you don't really learn how to treat someone. And as I've continued to learn, I have actually shifted over to the more of a like neurological side of things. And so when I treat a client in person, I'm not even doing that many exercises with them, to be honest. It's more about how their breath work is connecting to their body in terms of how they're shifting into their bodies again, getting them back into one leg or the other leg or opening up a rib cage. Or <laughs> So it's, it's different than what I can even show on social media because what, on, what I could show on social media are different variations of exercises that people can see and understand. They won't be able to understand the neurological side of things. So I'm appreciative that I still get to treat clients and kind of explore with that and continue to learn on my own. You know your work is incredible. All, all anybody has to do is just go to Instagram to look at it. But there are, but there are some things that I, I think I, I think all of us do that with just a little bit of change we can really radically make a difference. So for example, you're talking about things like, you're talking about chest breathing, but you're also talking about the rise in cortisol. And for those of you that don't know, and Jen, you can correct me if I get this wrong, but basically cortisol is a hormonal response to things like stress. And you know, the higher levels of cortisol you have, uh, the more you're going to hold on to things like belly fat. Did I get that right? Yeah, totally. And it's just going to drive more sensitivity into your nerves, which heighten the sensitivity of pain. So for the people that want to uh, want to decrease that cortisol level and want to breathe better and uh, be more in flow in the way that you're describing, is there maybe a simple trick that they can do? I know you mentioned breathe through your nose. And are you recommending breathing through your chest or your belly? I used to say belly breathing, belly breathing, but then I started to see clients who would come into me and they've heard this, you know, oh, diaphragmatic breathing means breathing from the belly, but all they were doing was pushing out and forcing their belly, which really wasn't doing anything. Um, And so what I like to tell clients and kind of an easy fix for this is every night I want you to just lay down, pop some pillows underneath your knees so that you can prop the knees and make your back a little flatter. Place one hand on on your chest and one hand on the lower rib cage. So right underneath your sternum so that you can kind of feel where your rib cage is still. So I say you take a deep breath in through your nose. And as you do that, I want you to feel more of the low rib cage hand starting to move. So I want the chest hand to stay really silent and try to just relax that hand, make sure that it's not raising. And as you breathe in, I want you to feel that low rib cage start to expand out to the sides. 
Now, if you're breathing like that all the time, especially for entrepreneurs, especially for people who have these stressful lives, who have just stress in a lot of different areas, we're not tapping back into that parasympathetic, which is going to take us back into that rest and relax, get us lower in those in those cortisol levels and allow oxygen to actually go into the brain better so we can think and concentrate and get more stuff done make it go out to the muscles so that we can get that quick workout in when we need to. So it all works together when we start to actually address this a little bit more and pay a little bit more attention to what's going on even at the basic level, which is just your breath. Yeah, you know, I can I can um, really feel when I'm going through, you know, like I've got this podcast that I'm launching, I've got a practice that I'm running, I've got a three-year-old, you know, I've got a wife, I'm traveling a lot, uh, I've got a network marketing business. And when I am, you know, going 90 miles an hour, there are times where I sit there and go, oh my God, I'm not even breathing. And I can just, I can just feel it. I mean, I really can. So thank you for, uh, for all of that. And I think that that's going to be super helpful for people. All right, so we're going to bounce around um, all over the place because the people listening to the show um, are entrepreneurs, and you know they they want to duplicate and replicate uh, success. And you certainly have had your share of success this year. I, I think the area that I see really the the most impressive content is on your Instagram feed, and so I'd like to dig in a little bit in the weeds on some things that you do that maybe can help some people. So what app or apps do you use to create those split screens? Yeah. So for Instagram, especially, I I don't get too fancy. I shoot everything on my iPhone. For most things, I'm not even speaking. I'm just showing different exercises. And I, and I put those different clips of exercises together through something called Splice. So I use Splice first and that keeps the the video long and vertical because iMovie is going to make it horizontal. So I like to use Splice. It'll keep it long and vertical like I like it. And you can add just wording on each clip if that's what you want to do. If I want to put more wording in throughout the video and kind of pop arrows in or do other things, I actually use something called Vont. V-O-N-T, and that allows me to add text in at different points during the video. And then (laughs) I just Google image, literally, something that I'm looking for for that body part and some anatomical thing that I can kind of attract people to because I think of Instagram like a billboard. And if you're not attracting attention in the very couple seconds or when someone's scrolling through, you're going to lose that. And why would someone click on your click on your video when they're scrolling through the explore page? There has to be something that catches the eye. And typically it's always that anatomy photo that really catches the eye. So all I do is I Google search an anatomy photo I like, and then I use Fonto, so F-O-N-T-O, um, to like put the te- the title that I want on that photo and put my little uh, tag. So it says at DocGenFit on it. And then <laughs> I use what's called PicStitch and I just put the photo next to the video. Okay. So this is, this is why I love getting in the weeds because it's so easy for somebody to look at your Instagram and go, wow, she can really do something great. But what you don't know is that you're using Splice, Vont, Google Image, Fonto, and then PicStitch and wrapping it all in a bow. Like that, that is the reason why I wanted you on this show. And that is the reason why your stuff stands out because you had to go through a lot of trial and error to be able to find that formula that makes it work. So so thank you for that. You're welcome. Okay, so when you shoot your videos, do you shoot them in one batch or do you shoot them daily? Or what, uh, what have you found is the most efficient way for you to do it? And the more detail, the better. So for example, do you, have a, do, you have a, do you have a note in your phone where you like get an idea and you write it down? Do you say on Tuesdays between 9 and 12, I'm going to shoot and here's what I'm going to do? What's, what does that look like? Yeah, I have a general note where every time I get a question or I think of something that I can shoot, I write it all down. So I have all my ideas on one note. And then on another note, I have my post schedule. So it will literally say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. This is what I'm doing. Even if it's just like a Saturday is an inspirational photo. 
I will write that down. That that is what I want to post. And it might change, but I typically try to stick to, okay, this is my layout. This is what I want to create for the week. And I do try to batch them up. So I will shoot all five educational videos in one shot. How long does it normally take you? Um, it usually only takes about 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. To shoot all five? Yes. Because they're only a minute long. I can't have them be very long. So yeah. Well, which it's actually a benefit because everybody wins. You know, it forces you. It forces you to be concise, um, and it, and it doesn't take a whole lot of time because you only have a minute for each one. So that's that's super. Okay, it, it, this is going to be a stupid question, but do you change outfits? <laughs> Not a stupid question. I was actually thinking about that. Most of the time, no, I I don't unless I. So when I went to Bali, I was going to be gone for two weeks. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll shoot these ones with my shirt on. And then the next one I'll just do in my sports bra. <laughs> so that was like my mini change. I think I did bring different pants so I could wear it for a different video. But because I needed to shoot for two weeks and kind of push it out a little bit longer, I did change video, change outfits. But if I'm shooting this same kind of content for a whole week, especially when it's talking about like this week, I want to talk about plantar fasciitis. If I'm going to keep it consistent, no one really cares what I'm wearing. And this is the other thing too. I've had friends who really get fancy with their with their videos. They they now edit them through Final Cut and they put the wording and but I found the fancier they get, it doesn't create more views. For YouTube, probably great and a different beast altogether. That's probably gonna help a lot. For Instagram, it's really about how are you capturing someone? Are you giving value? And is it, you know, attractive to the eye? Because Instagram really is just a quick billboard. It's a one minute video at max. So it's something that you're that you're giving that's either attractive to the eye or valuable. Let's talk about your post schedule. So you've got um, are you using your so you're just using a note in your notepad, you said to write your post schedule out, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You think of those before you do it and you block out maybe 30 minutes to an hour to just shoot the videos. Then do you batch edit all of them in the way that you describe with Splice and Vont, etc.? I typically don't have time for that. So I usually just do it the day of. But then I also have to allow at least 20 minutes for the caption because if you look at my captions, they are long. <laughs> when you say you allow 20 minutes for the... Oh, you mean 20 minutes to make the caption? Yeah, to write the caption for the day. What's your thoughts on outsourcing that process to, you know, somebody else to do? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. I think for editing the videos, I can definitely hire like a physical therapy intern or someone to put them together if they want to learn that process a little bit better. I will be honest, for me, it's just hard to like, well, will they edit it the right way? And will they put the words the way that I want them? And you know, so for me, it's still like relinquishing control of what I want people to see and what I know is effective and works because it's been working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the entrepreneur's dilemma. Do I outsource? And and I guess I, for me, the short answer that I've come to is if I can get it, and you're probably not going to like this answer, but if I can get it at 80% and I don't have to do it, I, I, I do. I know, but I know, but, but you may you may not at this stage. Um, okay, so let's go uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about when the video is done. Instagram hashtags. How do you come up with them, and do you have any secret sauce in what you do there? So people won't like this answer, but I gave up on hashtags. <laughs> wow! <laughs> if I had a sound effect, I would have like I'd have like. <gasps> I know. I know. I think when you're first starting to grow, it can be beneficial. But the thing about hashtags is you have to be very up on the game. You need to know what hashtag is most current. You need to know that you're not using a hashtag that has a million hits already and it's going to get lost in the mix of everything. And you can't use more than... I think it's 30, but I think that's even changed now. Like You shouldn't use more than 10. So... And sometimes if you post it in the comment, it's not necessarily going to be seen or used effectively. So I've heard so many different things and I've, I've experimented with it different times and it does not matter for my video. Literally what hits is when I know I have just an interesting video. 
that's I know what I know what people want to see. I know what's going to go viral. I know this photo anatomy is going to capture an audience. Or I know this is like talking about neck stretches. Who doesn't want neck stretch? Like I know what's going to hit and what's not going to hit. And hashtags really hasn't seemed to do anything for me. So the only thing I do with hashtags that I think is really important is getting people to follow a hashtag that you want them to see because you can follow hashtags now. So I think what's more powerful than loading up a video with a bunch of hashtags is getting someone to follow your particular hashtag. So I want them to follow Dr. Fit. Or I've now created flows for mobility. So I want them to... And I've told people, follow DocGen flow so that you don't miss one of the flows. Because if my video image, for whatever reason, doesn't get put into their algorithm, maybe the hashtag will. Okay. This is... I mean, this is like... This is breaking news here, Jen. I mean, this is... is, Like there's a hush over the world right now. This is... (laughs) Unbelievable. Uh, okay. All right. Well, you know, everything. every time I do one of these interv- interviews with people, the things that everybody does is not what the things that the people that are super successful. It's always counterintuitive. Um, I, 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 what's coming up for me on this is, do you believe that hashtags got you to where you are and therefore you don't need it anymore? Or do you think that if you started with not using hashtags right from the beginning, it wouldn't have mattered? Hmm. Honestly, I don't think it would have made that big of a difference. Wow. Um, I know, I know. Uh, I think maybe in the very, very, very beginning, sure, it could have helped. But I didn't grow because of hashtags. I didn't grow because of intention. I grew because I was collaborating with other people. I grew because other bigger pages were posting me. So collaboration is key. Putting out content that is going to go viral is key. Just being able to continue to grow that way and being consistent consistency collaboration and and putting out just good content like it, it people like to blame the algorithm and and blame all these different things but to be honest i'm going to go back to saying is your content good and is it eye catching so consistency is super clear quality you know somewhat subjective but that's also i think i think clear which person on Instagram do you most say, wow, this person's really got it together. They know what they're doing. In other words, who are you looking up to? One of my girlfriends, Kaiza Fit, she's really good at staying super consistent from the very beginning. She's been super consistent and it shows with her growth. Um, she gives people exactly what they want to see from her, which are explosive workouts. And she's always been true to exactly who she is. If she wants to show her food, she's going to show her food. She wants to show her shoes, she's going to show her shoes. She's just been, she's embodied exactly who she is and never stepped outside to like post something because she thinks that, you know, she has to or anything like that. So it's never been inauthentic. She'll post herself talking if she wants to talk about a certain subject. It's not about, posting sexually because she's trying to, you know, trying too hard or anything like that. It's just, she is exactly who she is. So that I totally look up to because it's reflected in her growth. It's reflected in her audience engagement in being true to exactly who she is. Let's, uh, let's get her Instagram handle again so I can make sure I link up to her. What's, what's her handle? Kaisa. So K-A-I-S-A-F-I-T. Kaiser Fit. Okay, that's a tough one, but I, I think we got it. And if we don't, you'll you'll uh, you'll correct me later. Okay, cool. All right. So now this leads us to what you recently created, which is you created a mobility course that, uh, by the way, to get me to buy a mobility course <laughs> uh, is really a lot because I'm super picky, and <laughs> I have to tell you, it is amazing. So can you explain first why you did the course, what the course is, where'd you get the idea for, from, uh, etc.? You're so sweet. I appreciate that. So. I noticed that for me, especially the video that took off and got a million hits was one based on mobility, opening up, stretching. And so I've started to realize those were the videos that people really wanted to see for me is more about mobility and stretching and what what that looks like, what that is, how you can improve. So I knew that I wanted to create something on that. Plus, I mean, even seeing clients in person, I go back to, for me personally, I mean, I start with the breath. 
And then I go, okay, how's, how's the mobility in this aspect throughout your body? Where are your restrictions? Because if we don't address your restrictions first and we're just going to pile on with strength on top of what you already don't have, then we're just making a person stronger in their restrictions. I believe that, you know, we've been taught, a lot of people have been taught wrong how to do stretches, how to do, how to open up true mobility because it's not just about passive stretching, but it is about can you activate in these ranges and create true mobility that carries over for the next day or into your movement pattern. And so understanding that it's something I was passionate about, it was something that my audience definitely was attracted more toward. It just made sense for me. And I even did an Instagram live and I asked, what would you guys want to see for me? Everyone said mobility. I did a survey monkey and I asked and everyone said mobility. So I knew that not only was it something that was cool because I was passionate about it and I and I really love the subject and I think it's a great baseline for everyone to start at, but it was something that people wanted to see for me as well. So I don't know if I'm fortunate in that way or if that's the audience that I naturally created anyways, but I think it did go back into, okay, let's get people thinking about their bodies in a different way. And so when I did the challenge as well, I so I did a seven-day uh, mobility challenge, which I can actually link up for your listeners. And it goes into gratitude as well and appreciation for our bodies because I think we lose mobility and we lose the care for it and recovery of like really trying to hold the stretch and activate it and range and all, do all because why who wants to spend the time doing it? And when we realize we we're born with these able, capable bodies, but not using it to the fullest and really maximizing what we have within our joints, our range, and we can create more. And it will make us healthier and not have injury and not have pain and all these other things. It just, I think that's where it really opened up for people into what that appreciation actually is for your body and why you should take the time to really implement that into your life. So just a clarifying question. When you're talking about stretching and activating, what's the difference between stretching and activating? So stretching is you're going to go into like a yin yoga class and just passively be pulling on a leg or melting into a pose or just holding passively with no muscle activation at all and just breathing into the stretch, which I think is great. And it's awesome and it's wonderful. And you can open up more flexibility that way. But flexibility is very different than mobility. Flexibility is just passively being able to go into position. Mobility is actually being able to use what you just had in that flexibility and, oh, and doing it against gravity. So not using any tools or hands or you know, anything else to go into that range. But now I can not only do a hamstring stretch, but I can stand up and I can lift my leg all the way up. So are you saying that, for example, you, staying with the hamstring stretch, are you saying that the activation part of the hamstring stretch would be when you sort of hit the edge where pain begins? Not Pain's a bad word, but where you start to feel it, then pushing through that, is that the activation? I would say the activation is wherever... So you go into your, your range of motion whatever that may be. So maybe that is your hamstring range of motion. And right when you start to feel that restriction, you you breathe and you hold into that. And then you're gonna you're gonna push into it. So you so say you're against a wall or you're you're holding with a strap or whatever it may be, you're gonna push actively and kind of turn on that hamstring. And then you're gonna pull back toward your face and turn on your quad so that it's like activating in each range of motion. So now I'm I'm it's almost like uh, if anyone's heard of PNF, that's probably a little too sciencey, but um, it's just activating the nervous system as well. But on top of activating the nervous system, you're now talking into the cells because cells respond to force. And when we are activating and creating force within the tissue, we're now telling the brain and restructuring how things are supposed to be. So now it's not just passively stretching into something, but you're actively getting into the cells on a deeper level and getting them to activate and be stronger in that range so that now your body not only feels safe to be able to come back to that range of motion, but it's actually going to create more carryover 
into your workouts, into your day, into your activities, into whatever else you want to do in life, really. Okay. So you've got the range of motion with the stretch. You get to the point where you're pushing. When you're pushing, and obviously, you know, kids don't try this at home unless it's safe. But when, <laughs> you, when you're when you're pushing, that's when you move into um, the activation or turning on. Now we're moving a little bit more neurological and we're getting into the cells where we're restructuring and we're telling the brain where we want this range of motion to be. The, and then the, the body will remember it, which will create more flexibility. Did I, did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's also like, I mean, your brain just always wants to feel safe. So being able to activate in these end ranges of motion and tell the brain that, oh, I can, I can hold in this position or this position, this maximum flexibility is not scary anymore, is going to help the body to be able to go into that position. If you're going to do a squat, if you're going to do a deadlift, you're, you know, you're going to do all these other things. And so you're not going to, you won't pull things as much. You won't get injured as much. Do you find that people push too hard in that activation and create injury or do it the wrong way or both? Oh, they could, I mean, you could always do it the wrong way. And that's why hopefully they get the program and they listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> that, that's right. And I have to tell you, you know, for anybody who's thinking about getting, getting the program, and you, you really all should, as you, as you get older, you know, we're not putting our feet in our mouth anymore. You know, our mobility is only, <laughs> going, is only going down. Um, so we need a program like that. And uh, even somebody like me who sort of have spent, you know, a couple of decades in this world, there's so much much to learn. And as you can hear, she's super passionate about it. So she knows what she's doing. So just go get the damn thing. Um, okay. So this course was a huge hit for you. I'd like to touch on a little bit on what you were, and we don't have to go into great, great detail here, but you know, obviously there was some pre-launch stuff that you did, some, some launch stuff and some post-launch stuff and that went into a private group. And you know, I, I remember when you came out with this and I remember watching it and I said to my wife, Kim, I said, she's going to kill this, this launch, she's going to kill. You did it so elegantly that that's the word i'm looking for you did it so elegantly and just perfectly and that you know we we don't have to reveal how well you did but i know you did well what tips uh can you give people uh who have a product that they want to get out there to market maybe from a a pre-launch launch and post-launch perspective i would definitely suggest the book launch <laughs> from jeff walker i think that is a go to and i used it a lot when i was preparing for the launch and then, I mean, and he really goes through the sequence of creating the mindset behind the product that you're about to release. And I think it helped. You know, I already had the, the Survey Monkey, I'd done the Instagram Live. So I already prepared the mindset of like, what would you guys want to see from me if I were to give you something? So they already knew that something was going to come. And then I went into promoting the challenge, but I didn't do it on Instagram. So you had to opt in to the email. And Opting into the email obviously was super powerful because then you get a big email list. <laughs> so that just helps you grow. And I was fortunate enough to have friends that posted in stories about it. Like you posted in stories and you helped me out. And I created just you know little graphics if they didn't want to talk about it or anything like that. I would just give them a graphic and say, Hey, would you mind just adding a swipe up link um, in one story? So stories are fleeting. They go away within 24 hours. So most people have no problem with just like throwing something up. So I also got friends to kind of talk about it and promote, promote about the challenge as well. And then throughout the challenge, I made sure that I was... I don't know. I, I think you have to be very connected to what you're creating. You can't just be doing a challenge that you're not really sure about. You can't be giving a product that you're not really passionate about or else it's going to show. So I think that's so important. And so, and that was really powerful in my launch. 
And I'll tell you the other thing. When I got into the other side of your program, I was just as blown away by the quality inside. A lot of times, I mean, look, you know, we've uh, we, we've lived long enough. Our bullshit meter is super high now these days with all, you know, uh, the onslaught of of products that are being sold out there. So it's so, it's so refreshing to buy something and go inside and see that you're just as blown away on the inside um, as you were on the outside. And I certainly was with your program. Were there any mistakes that you made that, you know, you would give somebody advice and say, Hey, look, I just make sure that you don't do this. Cause I did it. I thought it was going to be great, but it wasn't. Is there anything that falls in that category or, or do you feel pretty good about the, the way the whole thing went down? I would say for my second launch, I tried to kind of do an upsell in terms of talking about one product, but then also addressing another product at the same time and not just waiting. So I use a platform called Thinkific to host my Think Ific. Never heard of that one. Okay. Think Ific. Now, now I'm with you. Go ahead. It's very yeah. similar to like Kajabi or Teachable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I use Thinkific and unfortunately their upsell page is really not great. So I was kind of talking about two products at once as I'm going out in the launch. Confused the heck out of people. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is the one thing I would say. Be very focused on one thing and just if that's what you want to launch, that is what you're launching. And and hopefully you have a good upsell page where you can add the video and you can add all these other things if you want to do that afterwards. But be very specific on what you're promoting, on what you're... Because I noticed in the first day, I lost connection completely. Uh, people were confused. I, I lost it. And when I don't feel connected to my audience, they don't understand the why behind it. I feel really sad. So the second day, I changed it all. Well, that night, I changed everything. I refocused on what I was creating. I did an Instagram Live in the morning and I felt the connection automatically come back. People started to understand and then it started to show. So numbers will reflect also the connection that you're making with your audience. Give me an example of how you knew that you lost connection. I was getting a lot of emails that were very confused. People didn't understand which product I was really talking about that was getting the discount. It felt messy. It looked messy. I, I could feel it. When you do it again, would you change platforms and do Kajabi? No, I'm going to stick to the same platform. I'm just going to do launches that are very specific on what exactly I want to target, what product I want to target. And then if it's a smaller upsell that doesn't have the video and all that, that's fine. Okay. So you're open to the upsell. You just don't want to talk about it. Um, Upsell from inside the platform. Got it. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, I guess I want to dance around some of the emotional side of this and I'll, I'll make myself clear in a second. You know, as a, as a chiropractor, I hate telling people I'm a chiropractor. I rarely do when I'm out because the questions start flying. You know, it hurts when I do this. How do you protect yourself um, from the onslaught of the million questions that you're getting from either people that are thinking about buying your product or who have bought your product and they are vying for your attention. And you know, you and I both know that it is very, very difficult to properly diagnose over the internet. And um, there are certain tools that we need, like we need to see you, maybe, maybe an x-ray, you know, et cetera. So how do you deal with that? I, I just say exactly what you said. You know, I tell people... Unfortunately, without being able to see you, without being able to know your history, without being able to do a full assessment, there's no way that I can tell you what's going going on or what you can do, especially through a DM. Can I give you a whole treatment plan? So I just tell them, and you know, unfortunately, I can't do anything. If you want to dive in and try to see where your own restrictions are within your body, here's a program that you can do that. Or I really advise you if you're having a lot of pain to go see your local therapist or chiropractor, acupuncturist, whoever that may be. How often does that happen for you? Is that kind of like a regular occurrence or not as much as as you would think? All the time. Okay. Okay. That's I, I knew that was the first that was the first question that came to me. When I saw that, I was like, oh my God, how is she gonna do this? Okay, good. So uh, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Okay. 
So let's talk about putting yourself out there on the internet. You, you once mentioned, and I'm sure I'm going to botch this quote, but you know, she's got a nice body, but Lewis, you know, your boyfriend's Lewis house uh, can do better. How do those type of comments affect you? Uh, how did they affect you then? And, and how has your thinking uh, evolved or changed since then? Yeah, I think in the beginning, it was a lot harder. I mean, especially I didn't intend to have the audience. <laughs> I accidentally stumbled into this. I accidentally stumbled into Lewis. <laughs> so none of this was like I was seeking out having any of it. So it was really hard for me. And I used to have a lot of negative self-talk myself. So having negative self-talk myself and really being hard on myself and then seeing it being almost confirmed by other people was hard. I had to really just dive in and do the work for myself in terms of how am I getting out of this negative self-talk? How am I loving myself? And start to do personal growth work. And the more that I have dove into personal growth and the more that I've evolved in myself and my self-love and my self-worth, the more that I'm able to see these comments and it just doesn't mean anything. And is that a recent thing where it hasn't meant anything to you? Uh, probably within the last year. Along the same lines, I remember one day, uh, Kim and I were doing uh, some Jet Set Life video and uh, somebody put in the comments under the video, Rob's gay and Kim's a cow. And it has been, that was the defining moment for us where we knew, we were so upset by it. And we knew that if we were able to get over that, that there would be growth here. Now, they could really, you know, call me an, an elephant. You know, you know, it, it really doesn't matter to me um, because I get so much. So there's a little bit, there's a little bit of, I, I think, I don't know, maybe callous, not callous, thicker skin. I think is the right word that comes uh, the more you put yourself out there, and uh, certainly personal growth um, helps. So in the area of personal growth, what what advice would you have? For people to to do the work, if you know they're trying to put themselves out there, and you know either they're putting themselves out there and they're getting some some feedback, you know those keyboard warriors, people who are hiding behind a keyboard that are just saying mean things and it's just really crushing their growth, or they're just afraid and they just don't want to put themselves out there because they don't want they don't want to open themselves up to that. Are there any you know books or courses or trainings that you've done that you'd recommend? There's tons of books. I think um, they're so Awesome. One of my favorite books is called Radical Acceptance. Mm, Tara Brock, amazing. I love that book. So that one really helped. You Are a Badass, obviously, such a great Jen one. Cicero, yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, and there's there's so many that are so, so great in terms of being able to dive into that. I'm excited to dive into Lori's new book, Lori Harder, <laughs> Tribe yeah. Called Bliss, because I'm sure that's going to be another great one. Brene Brown is great books. So there's so many great books on in terms of being able to de- develop that by reading and understanding, opening your perspective, but then really diving in and do the, doing the work. I did a program called ALA, Ascension Leadership Academy. That was in San Diego, but they are all over the uh, the world, I believe. I know they're in M- in LA. It's called MITT Mastery and Transformational Training. Um, there's another one up Northern California. I think Momentum in New York, Next Level in Philly and Ohio, and then I'm probably missing some. So they're they're literally all over. Oh, Vegas is Choice. Out of all of those that you mentioned, ALA, MITT, Momentum, Next Level, Choice, is there one that you think of that really just for whatever the reason was that just hit you? Um, well, I haven't done... I, I did one of the levels at MITT, but ALA is really where I found the most growth for myself. And the reason is it, it's three different levels and you buy all three up front. So you know what you're getting yourself into. You know, There's no upsell. There's no, you need to do this. It is all about, hey, listen... We're always in constant transition. We're always in constant transformation. We're always growing. There's never like a, I've reached it. I'm here. I'm in the clear. (laughs) Like that moment just doesn't happen. And I felt at MITT, they did that a little bit more where it was like, you need to do this or you won't live a happy life, blah, blah, blah. But in ALA, I felt like it was very much about 
realistically continued growth. And this is just more awareness that you can dive in within yourself so that you can take it out into the world. Yeah, I heard a great quote you'll love. Um, If you think you reached enlightenment, spend a week with your family. (laughs) That's a good one. Right? So, you know, people may look at you and say, you know, she's got it all figured out. She lives in the sunshine. She walks around in her yoga pants all day. She shoots videos. She's traveling the world for causes that she believes in. She's got this sexy stud for a boyfriend, Lewis Howes. But I'm assuming that things haven't always been perfect. Can you walk us through some of the darker times that you had building this business and uh, what you were able to do to kind of get yourself out of it? I really feel like I've kind of allowed myself to naturally just go into the next step when I was ready. Lewis would probably want to have wanted me to step into the online market and all these other things a little bit sooner. But I really, followed my intuition, followed when I was ready and when I felt prepared to be able to go out and deliver this information. So you kind of you kind of trusted yourself. I did. And and maybe that that was myself holding myself back a little bit more and not feeling worthy to to step into that yet. So I so definitely something I can look into and I can grow in. But at the same time, it didn't allow me, I would say, those deep, dark hardships of like, I wasn't ready for this. What was I thinking? How am I trying to deliver this? It was more of like, okay, this makes sense right now. I have this audience. I'm going to, or I'm starting to get people reaching out to me more and building clients on my own. I think it's time and I can step out on my own. And so I really just kind of followed the path when I was ready. I didn't rush anything. I didn't put hard end goals on myself. I have a general vision of that I want to create empowerment for people to take control back of their own bodies. So that is that is my vision of what I want to create, but I also I didn't put a hard set timeline on myself either. And I allow thing and even when I did the launch it was like who knows? It's a learning process. I allow everything to be a learning process. The second launch, when I lost disconnection on on the first day, it was a learning process. So for everything, I I, I try not to get too beat up. I mean, I, believe me, I'm by trade, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a gymnast. Toes are supposed to be pointed and together. Everything is supposed to be on point. So when things are not on point, I do freak out. <laughs> but I also... I would say my moments of freaking out are more due to the execution than really being down and having failure because I don't see it as failure. Have you always uh, taken that sort of logical approach to things? I guess so. I mean, getting into grad school even, it was like, well, I know this is going to be tough. Getting into PT school is just hard. And so I'm going to apply. And if I need to reapply, that's just the way it is. And I luckily I didn't. I got in the first time, and and then I knew that I wanted to do a clinical out in Manhattan, and they didn't have any clinics set up at the time, and it was not up to me. I'm I have to go through my school, and they have to set up the whole legal process to get something set up, and I willed that to happen. I wanted it to happen, and so it did. So I guess I just I I do I allow things to just I know what I want. I know what I foresee. But if it's going to take a little while to get there, that's okay. What's interesting to me is that on the one hand, you will it to happen. But on the other hand, you allow it to happen. So you got this, you got this, like, you have this like very Japanese proverb. You know, <laughs> I mean, you're like a fortune cookie. That's really interesting. Really interesting. So um, are there any particular struggles that you're currently facing or behaviors that you're trying to change that maybe you're willing to share? Going to bed earlier and waking up earlier is my constant struggle. <laughs> what time you go to bed? Uh, between 12 and 2. Mm, so you're, you're a night owl. I am. I've always been um, very much so. And I hate mornings. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you go out, out like 12 to 2 or you just stay up late home? I just stay up late. Interesting. Do you feel like your your body is just kind of wired that way, or do you think you it, you got that way from a habit? I think both. I my family, my brother and sister, we've always been like, oh yeah, we can run off four hour 
four, four or five hours of sleep. I used to pull all-nighters all the time when I was in undergrad. Um, it was just an easy thing. And then even when I was in high school, I was in gymnastics. So I would get done with gymnastics at 9 p.m., have to come home, eat dinner, and still do schoolwork. So I think it was something that was created as a habit. And also, it's kind of in my blood. <laughs> Me and my brother and sister just kind of don't need as much sleep. And we all kind of are night owls. So both. But then also, I'm not going to lie, coming back from vacation, it it has been a little bit of a struggle to like get back to all my emails and get back in the swing of things and find my balance between food and working out and getting stuff done efficiently. Like it hasn't picked up as as quickly as I've wanted it to. Well, this kind of brings us to the uh, to, to the uh, to the wrap up here, which is uh, the play hard section. So, you know, I love to hear how people are maximizing the uh, these other areas of their life outside of, outside of work. Um, and I know that you know one of the things that you recently did was you just took a trip uh, to Bali, and you know part of the yin and the yang of doing things like that, I think, is you know striking that balance and you know when we take a trip, when we go to Greece for a month in the summer, it's like a heroin addiction. You know, for the first three days, I'm checking email, I'm checking Instagram, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just shaking, you know, but then, but then by the third day, I, I don't even care anymore. And then when I get back, I, you know, I have exactly what you're describing, which is getting back into the routine of, you know, being here. So, you know, I, I I'd like to talk a little bit to that. What are some non-negotiables that you have installed in your life, like meditation or date night, um, that really have helped you with your sanity? Making the bed every morning helps because that immediately starts me out to like, okay, this day I'm going to get stuff done. It's going to continue. It's so weird. It's so weird, but it does work. It does work. And getting a workout in, for me, it doesn't matter what time of day. I'm actually sometimes a little bit better at night. So getting some kind of movement. It could even just be going down and, and playing aqua yoga with some people. So movement during the day is a non-negotiable for me. And I, if it's been more than two days that I didn't move, my mood will show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have a meditation practice? I don't have a regular practice, unfortunately. I, that is something that I'm working to create better. It's always like, well, no, I need to... I need to do this a little bit longer. I need to, I need to get right into this. I need to, and especially because I'm not a morning person, usually I'm hitting snooze about five times before I'm like, okay, I guess I need to get up and shower and get ready and, and start my day already. So I don't allow myself the time, which is why it, I think once I can, not, I think I, I know once I can start to get to bed earlier and wake up at, and feeling more refreshed, I can add that in for sure. And I can add it in at any time during the day. But I think it would help and make my day more clearer if I can add it in in the morning. I wasn't a morning person either, but I read something called The Miracle Morning. Have you read it? I haven't. Yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's literally reprogramming yourself to become a morning person. And I got to tell you, it's freaky, but it works. So I'm, I'm not going to give it away, but it's called uh, The Miracle Morning. It's, All right, it's, I'll have to get that. <laughs> I got it from uh, Tony Robbins. It's good. Which strategies, if any, do you have in place to disconnect from that ever-present screen uh, that you can always do just a little bit more work? Do you have any rules around that? Like, you know, screen-free Saturday, go into airplane mode at night. How do you, uh, how do you approach that? When Lewis and I are together at nights, we, we definitely we put away our phones and we disconnect from the phone and we just connect with each other. So that's a daily practice that we give each other. And I think that's so hugely important. And I do see friends pretty often as well, whether it's lunch or dinner or whatever it may be. And so whenever I get together with someone, they have my full attention. I'm not on my phone. Awesome. I just tried... um, Actually, I didn't try. I'm doing it. Um, I go into air... I put the phone on airplane mode at night and I don't turn it on in the morning until after I get back from the gym. That's... Huge. That's awesome. Yeah. The first, uh, the first week I look like a heroin addict shaking. Um, but, uh, but I got to tell you, now I look forward to it. That's good. Yeah. It's really good. So we're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready, Jen? 
Oh, I think I'm ready. What one book have you reread the most? I think that would have to be the uh, You Are a Badass. What is the one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but you're never going to do it? (laughs) I have these headbands that I keep saying that I'm going to wear when I work out or just around the house. Never, never wear them. (laughs) I should probably throw them out. (laughs) What is the one app on your phone that you can't live without other than Instagram? Ways for sure. I wouldn't wouldn't get around anywhere. (laughs) Well, you live in LA. That's why. Okay. If I were to talk to your friends and ask them what your superpowers are, what would they answer? That I can, I can see through their bullshit and I know that they have a lot more inside of them. If you had to give a TED Talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you like to do or any passion that you have for anything, what would it be? Self-love and relationships. We are going to end on that note because that was beautiful. Um, Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for um, our audience? To move every day and to tune into your breathing. Love it. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. For people that want to follow you, where is the best place to follow you and what is the tag or the handle? The best place is going to be Instagram at DocGenFit, but I'm also Facebook, YouTube, and my website is all DocGenFit. And it's one N or two? One N. Okay, so DocGenFit. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.